Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. You're listening to the COVID-19 special episodes. This podcast is about effective learning and effective teaching. And now we all have to do this with a new wrinkle provided by COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, which is sweeping the world in a pandemic, the likes of which we have not seen since AIDS, polio, and the 1918 Spanish flu. As a result of COVID-19, many universities, colleges, and K-12 schools have either closed down or moved to distance learning, which, for most teachers, means going online. In this special COVID-19 series, we'll unpack some of the major issues teachers and students are facing, as well as ways to deal with these issues. Now, please note, we are not going to pull punches here. We are going to be direct and blunt about what can be done and what can't be. We're not going to be able to tell you how to keep things just the way they used to be, because that is not possible. So with that in mind, let's move forward. This is our 14th episode in the series, Keeping Your Online Course Design Simple. Many mistakes that instructors make since moving online has been maybe adding in extra assignments or tests, assuming that time off of campus means that students have a lot of free time, or the opposite mistake, they'll only offer three assignments for the entire term instead of taking advantage of repetitious work, meaning smaller assignments done over and over. Both of these mistakes show a lack of understanding about how online teaching works. Online learning requires predictability and repetition, but it does not require either a deluge of information or a paucity or a lack of chances to learn from mistakes. Another mistake that we've seen online instructors make when they've never taught online before, especially this past spring, is treating tests as really high stakes endeavors. Like one test that you blow means you've blown the whole class. You can't fail a test because if you fail the test, then you fail the class. And this kind of insists on stuff like three exams in one paper, but it also insists on the idea that everybody should already be really good at what they do before they take the test. And it kind of ignores the fact that for a lot of students, tests are part of the learning experience and being allowed to fail and retake it or fail and not have it completely destroy their grade is really, really important. And another mistake that's related to this regarding tests is insisting on things like lockdown browsers out of a worry about cheating. At this point, folks, we should really leave some of these ideas about cheating in the past. We should be training students not to memorize information at this point, but to use it. Because the more they use it, the more they'll memorize it. The more they use it, the more they'll get used to using it. But if we demand straight parrot it back memorization, that's what a lockdown browser is for. And what's the point of that? Another issue that we've seen with a lot of inexperienced online teachers is assignments that are busy work. This goes back to what Denor said about too many extra assignments, extra tests, because you're assuming that they have lots of free time if they're off campus. If the assignments are actually checking knowledge that the student has or building new knowledge, they're not busy work. But if it's just, hey, take a time test, take a timed quiz, take a pop quiz over and over and over again, that's not the kind of repetition we're talking about. That's just busy work. 
And one of the things that we suggest in our next COVID episode, COVID-15, we'll be talking about some ways to avoid doing this whole saddle them with busy work because you don't know what else to do. And another mistake that instructors made in the move to going online in the spring was having really rigid due dates and not offering a lot of flexibility to students. And one of the things that I did for my students is I would give them a due date and I would say, ideally you're turning this in by this date, but the absolute final due date is right around the end of the term. And that way students could take quizzes or take their tests when they needed to. If they had to turn in their term paper late to me because they were an essential worker or they were taking care of family, then as long as they communicated that to me ahead of time, I had no problem letting them submit anything up until that final due date. And for the spring, I took away any late penalties just because the shift online was unplanned, both by me as their teacher and by my students as my students. They signed up for face-to-face. And so I figured that taking away that rigidity, taking away that set in stone due date and offering that flexibility would hopefully offer a little less stress for them. Let them relax a little bit more. These mistakes are perfectly understandable if all you've ever done is teach face-to-face. If you've never taught online or if you were thrown into it last spring, like from what one survey we read, 80% of all teachers were thrown online for the first time in their lives. It's understandable that you would think doing the things you always did in an in-person class will make sense online. But the thing is, when students are learning online, it's not the same as that immersive experience of being in a face-to-face classroom. And so there are two sets of things that they actually need. And the first is repetition, consistency, and predictability. So they've got to know that every week is going to look pretty similar to every other week. That they know they're watching the lecture by Tuesday night, that they are responding to questions about it in the discussion by Thursday night, that they're responding to their classmates' answers on that discussion board by Friday night, and they're taking a quiz on it on Sunday night, for example. So you need to make sure that every week looks very similar to every other week so that they've got that predictability of Tuesday is lecture day. I have to have something done by Tuesday. Thursday is discussion day. I have to do my discussion by Thursday and so forth. The other thing is make sure that all their assignments have similar formats. So all their journal assignments look pretty much the same. All their homework assignments are pretty much the same in terms of their format so that they're not struggling with the how to do this part of assignment. And then they can instead focus on the what are you doing and learning part of the assignment. And I've mentioned my journal assignment before. It's always the same five questions. And so students know if they're going to do a journal, they're going to get five questions about the lesson and how they're going to use it and how it applies to their life. And they will always be the same five questions. So they don't have to sit there wondering, well, what does he mean by muddy point? That's already been defined in their very first time doing a journal. And by the time they get to journal number three, this is old hat. They know what they're doing. They don't have to worry about that stuff. The idea is to make it more predictable, more repetitive, so that there's more consistency and less stress. And the other thing students actually need is flexibility and understanding. And we've talked about that in this series a lot, about teaching compassionately. Well, part of this flexibility and part of this understanding is setting the main due dates a few days before the end of the term, unless there's a really, really good reason for earlier due dates. And a really good reason would be things like rough drafts for a term paper. You don't want them turned in in the same week because that would mean the students haven't had enough time 
to actually be able to go through, process your feedback, and make the changes that they feel necessary to improve the paper. So because of that, you want your rough draft set several weeks before you have the final draft due. But maybe have the final draft due towards the end of the semester. It will mean a lot of grading in a short amount of time, but it'll also mean you're hopefully grading better quality work in that short amount of time. The idea is giving your students the time to complete their assignments well and giving you enough time to get the grading done fairly. So figure out what you can do per day or per hour and then give yourself enough time to be able to do that, but also give your students that wiggle room. And work with your students when their lives throw them curveballs. Make your class a partnership with your students. And that means you treat them as equals. You treat them as peers. The big difference between you and them is that you've spent more time in your field than they have. That's what makes an expert. It's that time and that effort. But don't treat your students like they're your underlings. Treat them like people. Work with them. Understand that they have lives too and that just as we didn't plan for this pandemic, they sure as hell didn't either. And I want to comment on that thing about how long it takes to make an expert. I tell my students all the time, don't be intimidated by me. The only reason I have a PhD is because I was too stubborn to know when to quit. And I know that we all love what we do in our fields. We think that what we do in our fields is the most important thing. But the fact is, we wouldn't have PhDs in it if we, if we were not too stubborn to quit. Maybe some of our students aren't stubborn enough to stay in a field that they're not really all that interested in for 12 years while they get a master's and a PhD and an EDD and all these other letters that we put after our names. I'm not trying to say that the degree isn't important. It is. But don't let it make you feel like you have to be up on a pedestal away from the students, either one that you created or one that they put you on. When my students start getting obsequious and treating me with a level of respect I'm not comfortable with, I let them know, don't you dare put me on that pedestal because then I have all that much farther to fall. I'm a person too. I go to the bathroom too. I eat lunch too. I'm just like you in, much, in many more ways than I am different from you. And those letters after my name, that's great. But all that meant is that I was too stubborn to know when to quit. And the ways we can put putting this flexibility and understanding and the repetition, consistency, and predictability actually come from Adam's lesson plans. And part of the problem is many of us are trying to create courses that aren't overcomplicated. And it's tough for us because we've never really learned how to design a course. I think a lot of us, maybe even most of us, have readings we think are really important for students to know and really be familiar with. And one of the things that I do in my classes is I have students read parts of books or parts of reports or parts of articles that really resonated with me. Or maybe they're an article from a time that I TA'd for someone and I said, wow, that's a really good idea and I want to make sure that my students are familiar with this. A lot of us bring with us the teaching styles, the exam styles from our own professors that we had both as undergraduates and in graduate school. We're bringing in assignments that we're used to, familiarity to us. And the thing is, all of us believe that we're doing this right. We're teaching right. Why? Because we're imitating people that we worked with and people that we respected. And many of us are copying professors, but remember, they were teaching us in a very different setting. 
there wasn't the fear of a pandemic or the reality of a pandemic, I should say. Many of us were going to school at least in part before teaching online was widespread. And that means that while we can bring in parts of, let's call it our educational childhood, right? Bring in those readings that we thought were super important or just super fun. We, we can bring those in, but let's also make sure that we can adapt to the realities of our current situation. Because many of us, as Denor just said, we're copying what our graduate professors did, what our undergrad professors did, heck, maybe even some of what our high school teachers did. But we were never taught to see a course from a design point of view. And that means many of us may be teaching in ways that don't actually help our students achieve the course learning objectives, no matter how many good intentions we brought to the table. Design means we know what they need to know, why they need to know it, and what kinds of assignments will help them achieve those goals. And unless your graduate school was very unusual, you did not learn how to lesson plan during your graduate program. So I developed a lesson planning template for those of us who have never done this. And we're going to provide two copies of this file in the show notes. It's a Word document. One of them is not filled out and one is. And I'm going to just go through this. This is what you need to do. So if you can download that and take a look at it, the very first step is to identify which course you're working on and what the lesson topic is. And I'm going to use globalization as my example because that's the prep that I'm working on right now. So in this area, I'm putting the course name and I'm putting the unit topic, which in this case is the intro. Then you want to list the general student learning objectives. This is what they're called both on Adam and my campuses. And this will go right off of your syllabus. So in the example, I've got recognize, identify, and explain the main concepts of globalization. So this is a very early class. List the specific goal of this lesson or unit. What do you want students to be able to do when they're done with this unit? And I want to really emphasize, what will they be able to do? Not what will they know, not what will they remember, but what will they be able to do? It's really important to put this in active context. For example, if you're a chemistry professor, you might say, the student will be able to take variables and put them into this equation and create a solution for this problem. They'll be able to know when they do this thing in the lab, this is what will happen. So in this case, my specific lesson goal is the student will be able to name and define each of the concepts taught in this le lesson and give a basic description of the relationships between related concepts. So anywhere that there's related concepts in this list of concepts that I'm going to make, if, for example, core nations and the hegemon are related, they'll be able to explain how that works. If dependency theory is related to neocolonialism, they'll be able to relate how that works. List all the concepts they will need to learn during this unit. Now, this might be a tough call for some of you. For some of you, it's like, I just talk about the concept. I just talk about the stuff. I talk about the thing that's interesting to me. I tell stories from my own past about how I did this. That doesn't work in an online class. I'm sorry. I wish it did. But we've all had the professor, I'll call him Professor Ramble. He loves to talk. He loves to talk about his experiences. Denor and I both worked for one professor who just loved to talk about all his experiences with the law and all his experiences with courtrooms and all his experiences. And he thought that he was teaching concepts to the students. But I would have students come to me after that in RTA sessions and say, I'm looking in the book and he didn't mention this or this or this or this. And I still don't understand them. Well, I know we'll go over that. You need to not put your students or if you have teaching assistants or teaching assistants in that position. You need to know ahead of time, what do I want the students to know? 
when they're done with this unit. What am I going to test them on? Probably a list of concepts, or if you're in the sciences, maybe a list of these different equations and how they work. Whatever it is, you have to know ahead of time, what am I going to tell the students about in this unit? And so I've made a list, I'm not gonna read it off, but when you look at the example, I've got probably 30 or 40 or maybe even 50 concepts in there that I'm going to mention during my lecture, or lectures rather, for this unit, to make sure that they hear them and make sure they get definitions of them. And then once you've listed all those concepts, then you need to ask yourself, what does this lesson build on? So if it's the first lesson in the class, of course, as this one is, the answer is nothing yet. This is the intro lesson. But let's say you're in the middle of the course and what you're doing now builds on a theory that you taught two weeks ago. Then put that down. There's a space on this lesson planning sheet to put that down. The students need to draw on their understanding of this theory to understand this lesson or this unit. And also put down why they need to. This chapter on global poverty is directly related to the world systems theory they learned in unit two. World systems theory helps explain the sources and causes of global poverty in a global capitalist system. And this makes learning something longer term. It means that you're going to see them or you're going to say you expect them to make connections between ideas and see how they build on one another, not just trying to memorize a set of individual facts. They're going to be saying, all right, I remember learning about world systems theory in unit two. He's mentioning it again. I should go back and look at that and tell them that when you're teaching it. Say, this lesson is talking about stuff that you learned in world systems theory. So if you haven't got that, go back and look at it. It's kind of like how Denor and I will say, hey, this is talking about something we talked about in episode 13. Go, read, go listen to that and then come back. Same kind of thing. Then list the activities. This template divides them up into offline activities, synchronous online activities, and asynchronous online activities. In this example, here's what we've got listed for each one. Under activities, I'll have what are students doing and what's needed for them. So offline, they're gonna read the first chapter of the textbook and they're going to need a copy of the textbook for that. For synchronous online, class meeting and office hours. And so for that, because we're online, they'll need internet access and a computer or a smartphone or a tablet so that they can get into the synchronous online meeting. And then for asynchronous online, they're gonna to need to watch the online lesson video lecture. They're gonna to need to watch the online lesson video lecture on YouTube. They're going to need to read and respond to the discussion boards on the learning management system. They're going to need to complete their terms and concepts list and upload that to the learning management system and take the unit quiz. So for all of those, they're going to need internet access, a computer, a tablet, or a smartphone, and a computer is what I recommend to them. The online lecture videos, the terms and concepts assignment, and I'll need to make sure there are quiz banks and a quiz on the learning management system. Now, if you have additional or optional or extra credit assignments that are related to this lesson, then list them in the related assignments area. For example, I give my students options to do journaling assignments or collaborative notes assignments or study groups for credit. Those could all go in there. I also have a paper series that students might want to use lesson ideas in, so I'll list those here as well. If you have other notes or if you want to review how well the lesson worked once the students have completed it, there's an other notes area at the bottom to make some notes about what worked, what didn't, and how to improve the course for the next time you teach it. Now, using this lesson plan template, it requires you to keep things fairly simple and straightforward, but it also has a number of advantages for lesson prepping. And the first one is it really keeps your lectures focused on the concepts. You'll have a list of the concepts available. You'll be able to keep to that list. And let's say that you're in the middle of prepping a lecture and you realize, oh, that term needs to be in there. Go to your lesson plan stick it in there, and then it will show up on all the other stuff that you're creating. Second, once you have that list of concepts, 
you can build everything from that foundation. You can create test banks, terms lists, lectures, and many other assignments using the list of concepts. Remember, repetition and predictability are two of the keys that Adam and I talked about. Third, you can use that list of concepts to show how your lessons are connected to one another and how you're achieving the student learning objectives, which is what you get assessed on by your school's administration. The goal here, like modular teaching, is theme-based teaching as opposed to time-based teaching. The other thing is that keeping the course simple like this, it really helps you as well as the students because then you have fewer things to grade and they have fewer things to complete. Now, our own experiences in doing this, when I put a course together now, I always start with making the list of terms and concepts for each unit. And then I use this lesson plan template to develop a lesson plan for each unit. And after I do that, now I know what else I need to create for the course. Lesson lecture videos, exam banks, terms and concepts lists, journal assignments, collaborative notes assignments, study group assignments, whatever. This gives me a firm guideline for what I need to get done in order to build and design the class. It also allows me to see where I can cut or maybe make optional some of the things I was hoping to do with the course if I can see that it's getting too complex or it's going to make too many demands on the student's time. I'm used to theme-based teaching, and I would recommend to our listeners to listen to our COVID-13 episode on modular course design for more details. But what I do is I try and group theories or research or readings for my students around a certain theme. And that theme might be a group of theories. It might be new research if I'm trying to show changes in research over time. If my class happens to use a textbook, and not all of them do, I'll have my students go through key terms with the assumption that these key terms might come up during the lecture or in outside readings. And that way, if I accidentally forget to cover a topic in lecture or a term in lecture, say I forget to define what structural antecedents are in social disorganization, then my students have a way of becoming familiar with that term, even if they don't want to ask me in class. I tend to use flexible due dates in my online courses because I know some of my students are essential workers and or my students have to take care of family. And it makes no sense to me to be really strict with their due dates as long as I know what's going on. I expect my students to give me good work, but in order to get that good work, I've got to give them that flexibility. I've got to show them the compassion, that understanding. And that has to be not only told to them, it's got to be included in how I design my courses. So that's what we have for you in this special episode of Learning Made Easier. Please send this to other professionals and students who may be facing these issues. The easiest link to share is probably our Patreon, patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. If you're able to support us right now, we would really appreciate it. And please join us next time for our next COVID-19 episode, where we'll talk about best practices for online courses. We'll see you then. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.